The Winnipeg Jets and the Calgary Flames are embroiled in one of the most intense NHL mid-offs in recent NHL history on today's episode of Locked on Flames. You're Locked on Flames, your daily podcast on the Calgary Flames. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Locked on Flames. It is your host, Nick Sararis. Make sure you are subscribed to the show wherever you like to get your podcasts. Also available on YouTube if you prefer the video medium. Today, joined by Liss of Game Over Winnipeg. First of all, thank you for coming on. It's always good when you can go directly to a source to understand why a team is being miserable. Well, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. So let's start with the big macro level stuff here. The Jets were the weirdest team in the NHL, arguably, last season, to the point where Paul Maurice, who is the epitome of mid, even said, this is too much for me. I need to leave. What has changed in the last, what changed over the course of the offseason that we're at where we're at now? So for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Liz, and I love hockey analytics and stats and numbers. And I feel like for someone like me looking at this, it's completely not that it's all about these players and their attitudes and just the weirdest off ice stuff. So it's kind of frustrating. I feel like to try and understand because since I'm not there and in that locker room and at that team, it's like what happened. But I think this team had given up on themselves. If I'm being completely honest with you, they were. I think we're probably going to use the word mid like a million times throughout the course of this podcast. But they were just tired of being stuck in no man's land. I think, and you know, there was some old you know the accountability with some of the older players was not there and you know there was a lot of repetition and saturation with a lot of their strategies and the way things were working so I think the players were just kind of done um so then they get in and they get a new voice as their head coach which they haven't had since 2014 um having the same coach and GM over the last like eight years or whatever it is I'm sure could lead to a lot of frustrations with people so I think the change in and of itself um, had the biggest impact on this team. It doesn't matter who the change was. I think they could have brought me in as the head coach and things would have gone better right off the bat just because of how much these players were in need of a change. So I think that in combination with the Wheeler captaincy strip, I think has been a huge kind of just change in the dynamic, which is part of the reason I think that the Jets were so hot off the press to start the year. I think they were really excited for just a little bit of a new um experience and a new challenge and, and all that good stuff so I think a lot of it comes down to just the players being a little bit tired of things um but they brought in a coach who doesn't coach all that differently than Paul Maurice in my opinion so I think the novelty has kind of worn off and that's kind of the reason why we're here right now looking at what's wrong with this team oh I mean yeah Rick Bonus was the coach of the Stars team that lost like 14 games in overtime in a 56 game season which is kind of remarkable when you think about it considering the Flames have 15 overtime losses and that's the most in the league and this is a full 82 game season so to lose a comparable amount of games in two-thirds of the games is kind of another level of futility of just we're going to play it safe and if we lose in overtime so be it but we're going to stay alive as long as we possibly can yeah absolutely I think when you go out in overtime and you start your defensive forwards, it's showing it shows that you're, you know, looking to concede and you've already taken the loss, which I hate. So So in understanding the Jets this year, when they're going right, what does their ideal game state look like? 
Yeah, so I think that this team has a couple of really key strengths. I think, um, obviously, for probably anyone across the league, you don't need to know much about the Jets to know that goaltending has been a huge, um, you know, strength of theirs over the course of the last few years. Connor Hellebuck has been a Vezina winner, played Vezina caliber seasons all throughout his tenure here. Um, And, you know, if you're into the funky numbers like a lot of us are um his goal saved above expected over the course of his career is astronomically higher than any other goaltender like I think over the last like 15 years or whatever combined um just individually not isolated per 60 or anything like that or per game um he saved like 30 more goals above expected than the next highest person which is like anti-niemi or something crazy like that like this man deals with insane shot quality night in night out and he's just been super fantastic and really bailed this Jets team out a lot because um you know defensive structure wasn't a strong suit of theirs under Paul Maurice and you know things have gotten a little bit better this year and we can you know sort of dive into maybe some of the symptoms of that um later but in the past it's just so funny Last year, I'd have been like, oh, their power play is really good. Their penalty killing is awful and all these kinds of things. Right now, penalty kill is fantastic. Power play hasn't scored in 18 attempts. Like, you know, there's just so much variance going on with this team. But when things are going right, their goaltending is fantastic. And um, they're generating a lot of really fun shots in the offensive zone. And, um, you know, I I prefer to see when they, you know, cycle down low a little bit more as opposed to relying on their defensemen for shots. And when they're playing as a five-man offensive unit, which they're doing more so this year than they have in previous years, or at least early on this season, um, that's when things are going well, is when they play all offensively and Connor Hellebuck is being Connor Hellebuck. Yeah, I mean, I vividly remember spending most of that 56-game season being fascinated by the Canadian division because they were essentially playing a different sport than the other three (laughs) divisions because there was no defense and it was the goaltenders praying for their lives every single night. And Hellebuck was outstanding even in that environment, which was maybe the highest-scoring environment we've seen in the modern NHL in a concentrated space. So part of what I find interesting about the Jets is, like you had mentioned, it's a lot of older guys, it's a lot of reliance on the top end get forwards the goaltending and they're just trying to scrape by on defense but this year you got a weird wrinkle where josh morrissey just kind of turned on the offensive part of his game that hadn't been there in a couple seasons like and he's got i want to say like a nine percent shooting percentage which is like three percent higher than his career everything kind of that didn't work out for them last year the pendulum kind of swung the other way in terms of all the variant statistics where Hellebuck wasn't as good last year as he's playing this year. They're getting a little bit more shooting luck. But what would is there anything other you would attribute it to than just variance, like season to season? It's kind of weird like that. Yeah, so I think I'm actually, I'm going to defend Paul Maurice here, which is going to sound really, really weird. But um, I think the Winnipeg Jets, you know, we a lot of Jets fans always look back to that stretch of time where they lost Dustin Bufflin, Tyler Myers, Jacob Truba, um, all in one go and Ben Chirot, I guess, as well, and replace them with the likes of people like Nathan Bolio, Tucker Pullman, things like that, whatever. So the coaching staff understood that their defensemen were not offensively gifted. Um, they were, you know, shutdown guys or whatever that probably weren't that awful in third pairing roles, but they were all playing on the first and second pairing. So that's a story for another time. But when they had this personnel, my kind of take on it is that I feel like they were being coached to, you know, back off 50-50 pucks and not jump ahead in the play and not pinch up as much because that wasn't the style of game that they were great at, which is true for four or five out of the six defensemen that played for the most part. Josh Morrissey was the one player that, in my opinion, suffered from that uh, coaching style. I think we would have seen, um, you know, in the aggregate, it would have been a lot worse if, you know, Tucker Pullman and Nathan Bolio and Dmitry Kulikov were 
you know, joining in on the rush and all those kinds of things. And, you know, I just don't think it would have ended up, you know, good. Um, but I think it, it, Josh Morrissey suffered because of it. So I think this year, um, when you have a couple of guys like Dylan DeMello is one of my favorite, cause everyone thinks that he's um, a defensive defenseman, but he's also got, um, some good, um, you know, offensive instincts when it comes to holding the line and, and putting strategic pucks down low and things like that. Neil Pionk is also a little bit more on the offensive side. Uh, Nate Schmidt as well, notably. And depending on who their sixth defenseman is on any night, if it's Vili Hainala, Dylan Sandberg, or Logan Stanley, all three of those guys have some offense as well. So I think that with the personnel, they just sort of told them, you you can do these now. You can jump up on these 50-50 pucks. You can uh, jump up on these plays and all those kinds of things. So part of me believes that that's part of the reason why Josh Morris, he has seen a resurgence of his plays because he's able to play to his strengths now, which I think has been really great. Oh, yeah, no, you made a point before where you said they play a lot more five-man hockey now. And that's one of the things that's really jumped out to me this year, especially because in years past, you're very right. They would have the defenseman playing very passive in the offensive zone where get rid of the puck, don't pinch, don't take any unnecessary risks. And you were in situations where it was a lot of four-on-five and three-on-five in the offensive zone. And that makes it a lot harder on your forwards. And especially a forward group like this that is a little bit older, that is a little bit worn down, that isn't going to be able to react as well. It's really an interesting development that somebody like Rick Bonus, who, you know, very risk averse coach in the course of his career, has suddenly unlocked all of these guys at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, again, early on in the season, everyone looked better for it because I think a lot of our forwards, um, the, the Winnipeg Jets don't have, like, they have some play driving forwards for sure, but um, a lot of their more elite forwards. It comes from things like finishing talent, obviously, notably Kyle Connor and Mark Shifley um, are, are pretty good in that department for the most part, um, and not so much as of late, of course. But um, so guys like that also really benefited from having more input from um, those guys at the top. And I think, like you said, even if they're not the best hockey players in the world, if you want to point to any kind of strength or weakness of the offensive or defensive team in that situation, the team that has three players that are active versus the team who has five players that are active usually isn't going to luck out as much um, as when you have five on five and you're able to fully generate in that way. So I think that um, the whole team benefits when they're able to be a little bit more active and now they have the personnel to sort of back it up a little bit. So I think that's why uh, everyone's looked a little bit better for it for the most part, especially early on in the season. All right, coming up next in the second segment of today's show, we're going to talk about why the Flames are still alive in the playoffs, and that's the Jets over the last 15 games or so. But before we do that, we do have to talk about our friends at Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed, because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process where you can find great talent through tools like Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes that match your job descriptions and you can invite them to apply right away. One of the things that I love about Indeed is the assessments because it helps me stand out from other candidates who may be embellishing on their resume a little bit. Indeed makes it easier to hire great talent. According to Comscore, Indeed is the number one job site in the world. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked on. That offer is valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com 
slash locked on to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash locked on. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to thank everybody once again for tuning in to today's episode of Locked on Flames, where we cover your team every single day. We are discussing the very, very single reason, only reason, the Calgary Flames can even be mentioned in the same word, the playoffs, the Winnipeg Jets. Over the last month, this West, this last playoff spot in the Western Conference has been ping-ponged between four teams, and nobody wants to pull away. Nobody wants to pull away with that last spot. Yeah, absolutely. I, and it's so funny in the last segment, you know, we talked about why the Winnipeg Jets looked so much better early on than they did last season. And I almost felt like I was grasping at straws a little bit because it feels like it's been so long since I've watched this hockey team play good hockey. Like since the new year, they've been rocky. And in the last month and a bit, it's just been egregious like it's been awful. It's been terrible to watch for the most part. You know, there are flashes every now and then, but um little bit of rotten injury luck, but, you know, can't use that as a fault compared to all these other teams suffering injuries and just a lot of poor performances and guys who look like they don't care. And I think, you know, like you said, everyone in this playoff race right now is playing poorly. It, it would be up to one team to just take that and run with it. But the Winnipeg Jets have, I off the top of my head, I believe one of the easier schedules to close up the season. Um, like sixth or seventh in strength of schedule, something like right, that. Right, yeah. exactly. Um, and have maybe a little bit more, um, you know, uh, people have more faith in them, I think, than they do on other teams because a lot of people who just cover all 32 teams or from a general perspective are like, oh, they're just in a slump. Um, they were super good at the beginning of the season, so they're the best of this um, stretch of teams. Or I don't know what people's, you know, view of it is of this right now, but no one wants this playoff spot, I swear. I swear. It's like, it's like cursed or something because they're all staying as far away from it as they can. <laughs> So one of the things that jumped out to me when I started doing my trying to pinpoint what went wrong is the goaltending and the shooting percentage. Of course, those are the variant stats where it can kind of ebb and flow over the course of a season. And the last 15 games, the the uh, Jets are at a low point in both categories and like their cumulative average. Now, would you say that's kind of just how the team is constructed, that it's always going to be reliant on its shooting talent to kind of work its way out of any possession issues and the goaltending to mask up defensive issues? Or is there something underlying to that where, like, they're not generating as good of chances, the goaltending is getting hung out to dry? Does anything in particular jump out to you? Or would you attribute this more to just, you know, it's a 15-game stretch in an 82-game season? Yeah, I would say that um, a lot of the Winnipeg Jets' flaws – um, are put on full display when shooting percentages are, are down. Um, so someone like Cal Connor, for example, who's rocking at like a 2.5 shooting percentage over the course of the last how, who knows how many games. Um, players like that um, really capitalize um, and their talent is put on full display when the team is firing in all cylinders and when the team is excited and they have momentum and all those kinds of things. Kyle Connor, as an individual, I find doesn't generate a ton of momentum, but he's able to really help with it when it's already there sort of thing so this team being so flat guys like that are suffering they have that monkey on their back because there's just nothing for them to do because they're not shooting well and they're not generating enough to give them the chances to shoot well and things like that also notably the power play being so poor and I never ever ever attribute things to face-offs but they haven't been winning face-offs either which is just so funny because it's like oh good okay you got the icing and this that whatever but then they lose a face off immediately and it's like so I don't think it translates as much into results as people think they do but just like as far as like 
momentum and um you know the interest that players look like they're showing on the ice like it just looks like they're a little bit disengaged in a lot of those different areas um and goaltending i think has been fine um like it, it's been not connor hellebuck vezina but like it's been average and an average team should be able to compensate for having average goaltending or even good goaltending i would go as far as to say um but again it's the little things like giving up the first goal um in eight out of nine consecutive games and things like that where your team just automatically is playing on their heels because they just don't seem to care enough and i think um just generally speaking the shooting percentage and all that kind of good stuff is is very indicative of their inability to create um as many high danger chances as they need to generate to capitalize on that shooting talent. Like if you can, you know, get those nice bucks to Cal Connor, guess what? He probably will score for you, but they're not getting him all those bucks and he's not doing anything to help contribute to that. Same thing with Mark Shifley. If you give Mark Shifley that puck from, you know, on the left flank there, there's a good chance that he will score that for you, but they're just not generating enough um, of good quality chances, in my opinion, to compensate for the fact that they're uh, a little bit lax and they're giving up more than they should. Yeah, it's very interesting when I watch them because this has more or less been the same group for a while now. And Kyle Connor is one of the most interesting players in the league to me because somebody with he's got like two or three really high end traits. And then there are other parts of his game that are just not developed at all, where he has to be a passenger because he can't generate through the neutral zone with speed. He's reliant on the people around him to set him up. Who would you say is the Jets' best play driver in terms of getting them from defense to offense? To me, it's always been Nick Ehlers, but that's just kind of my drop-down view where I'm not watching them every single night. But I've always admired his game and his ability to kind of make things happen. Yep, that's who I would give it to as well. Um, just because uh, transition game is not an area of strength for a lot of the Winnipeg Jets forwards. They have a couple defenders who are not bad at it, and they make decent stretch passes and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, but Nikolai Ehlers' ability to... Um, exit and enter the zone with control um that's the key word there is the with control piece because this Winnipeg Jets team is not super good at uh general puck retrieval and things like that so gaining the zone with possession is a huge um advantage of his and things like that so that would be one particular area that um is a strength of his and I think that he leads the team in it's known that he's a zone entry king and all that good stuff but um, those zone entries generate to having more controlled possession to generate actual chances. So um, to me, that leads to him being one of the better, like play driver is a little bit, I, I, I wouldn't go as far as to call him that because I do think that he is a player that has a little bit more finishing skill and stuff like that. But the transition and finishing is a big piece of his. Uh, and purely Dubois, I would call play driver as well. I think he, um, when he's healthy, he's looked terrible since his return from injury, um, to be quite honest with you. Um, but he's a player that that drives the net pretty well and is able to create a little bit more um, than some of his counterparts in the top six in the Winnipeg Jets. So those are two players that, um, when they're playing well uh, and when they have people around them that are contributing, really, really um, kind of determine the success of this team. Okay, and coming up in the third segment, we are going to circle back to comparing the Flames and the Jets over the last couple of weeks what the next month, 10 games is going to look for like for both of these teams. And if either of them is going to end up in this playoff spot, it'd be very funny if the Predators who traded everybody end up in that last playoff spot, purely through UC Sorrow saying we're not losing a bunch of games. But before we take care of that, we have got to talk about our friends at FanDuel because the tournament is heating up 
And now is the time to get involved because new customers on FanDuel get a no sweat first bet for up to $1,000. Whatever you bet, FanDuel will match and give it back to you as a bonus bet. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. You can bet on everything from the money line to points scored and threes drained. One of the things that makes FanDuel so much better than the other sportsbook is the same game parlay feature, where you can combine multiple things like points, which team wins, spreads, rebounds, assists, or exclusive bets like the two by three, which is two three-pointers in the first three minutes. So do not miss your first chance to get a no sweat first bet for up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Now, understanding this last 10 game stretch in the NHL season is going to be borderline impossible. The, the drop down views from the national columnists who only watch these teams like once every two weeks are always amusing to me. Like I read a take today blaming like the Penguins for keeping Crosby, Malkin and Latang together this morning. I read a column like that's the reason the Penguins aren't playing that well because they tried to keep the band together one more season as opposed to like, you know, just employing Jeff Carter, Kasperi Kapanen and Brian Dumoulin and the same goaltending tandem that hasn't won a playoff season ever but that's what makes the national hockey media so interesting is they helicopter in watch one game and write an entire column based on that one thing i was reading i forget whose column it was about the jets but more or less the entire premise was as long as hellebuck doesn't get hurt they'll be the last team standing yep uh honestly that that (laughs) stands to reason and that makes a lot of sense to me um though i would argue that um Connor Hellbuck can't score goals for them. So if they can't score anything, then they're going to be in rough shape too. But yeah, I think it's kind of inevitable. I think, and I'm the most pessimistic Jets fan in the world and that I, even I think that this team is going to make the playoffs um, just due to the fact that, you know, obviously we can look at the schedules and the, you know, intrinsic qualities of these other teams that they're fighting against right now. And it's, I think they are, probably at the core one of the better teams i think they're a better team than the seattle crack and i think they're a better team than national predators i think they're a better team than the calgary flames have shown this season um as far as like untapped potential goes i still think the calgary flames um have more to give than the winnipeg jets do um but all that's to say this last stretch is going to be extremely weird to watch and i think that if the winnipeg jets can score two or three goals a game and connor hellebuck plays normally I think they will be the last team to make it in especially due to the strength of the schedule um and just due to the fact that there's that little bit of hopefully fire in their bellies when you're a team that bought as opposed to a team that sold um you should care a little bit more um, and that should translate into the way you play and the results of your game so hopefully um there's a little bit there that helps them you know make their way into the playoffs we talked all year about how the west is wide open um that's kind of all those gaps are closing a little bit more now you know Edmonton is really coming together the Colorado Avalanche or you know the Colorado Avalanche and all that good stuff so there are a couple teams that I don't think the Winnipeg Jets could beat but as we know the playoffs are a weird animal so I think that the Winnipeg Jets have a chance to make some noise in the playoffs if they make it if they you know figure their life out (laughs) figuring life out has been what the flames have been trying to do for 71 games i've spent 71 games of this season being like they've got more than enough talent they've got to figure it out right these are 18 professional uh, skaters and two goalies eventually they'll be able to string together four wins in a row five wins in a row i would have thought 
I would have thought a goalie who was a Vesna finalist last year wouldn't have an 890 save percentage. But here we are. That's the reality of the situation for the Flames because all they needed was one thing to go right for them, whether it be shooting, goaltending, health. And they've had health, but pretty much everything else has gone wrong. Like, Huberto is less than a half point per game player. Kadri was on a good pace, but he's really fallen off. And now he's in Daryl's doghouse where he only played 11 minutes the other night. And it's kind of arbitrary who's riding the bench for those extended stretches of time. But the biggest thing for the Flames, and I think this is an interesting way we can tie it back to the Jets, is right now the vibes are atrocious around the Flames. Everybody is kind of like, where you have Alan Walsh being like, keep doing the same thing over and over again, Daryl. It's great. My client, Jonathan Huberto, loves this. When you've got the agent subtweeting, when you've got Nas going and being like, well, yeah, it's it, me. I think one thing and Daryl thinks another thing. That's how this goes. We're both professionals. I think the biggest issue the Flames have is the under... They, there's the institutional idea that Daryl Sutter's infallible because of his history. And the biggest problem is most of the guys on this team were not born when Daryl Sutter was coaching for the first time in the NHL. He does not know how to effectively communicate with younger players. I, I, the hard, the hardo mentality that of guys like Sutter, Tortorella, um, Tockett to some extent, that only works for the guys who were, grew, grew up in that environment. The younger players, they have been on the other end of the spectrum in terms of how they've been treated growing up, where they've been given every opportunity to succeed, told, hey, if you mess up, that's on the people around you, not you, because you are really good at this. And now we've reached this crossroads where you've got a team of guys in their mid to late 20s who are all playing for a guy who's 68 years old. And there's just a clear disconnect between what the expectations are and what the execution is. Because as you said, the Flames are really talented. They have one of the best one through nines in forwards in all the league. And they've got four of one of the best one through four defensive cores in the entire league. And they do not play like it at all. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, these older coaches, like you said, I don't mind, um, you know, respecting success that someone has had. But um, if you look at even like if you look back at, um, the 2011 Boston Bruins, or whatever. You look at all these different teams that have won over the course of however long. A lot has changed in hockey in the last little bit, and I think the emergence of you know we always look at the um what's that saying that I feel like you heard in high school and you hear it in the NHL even like uh, offense wins games but defense, defense wins championships. Yeah. That's not even the case anymore. Like I think a lot of these coaches have that mentality, but. Um, Dom Lustrishan put out uh, an article the other day that I felt so vindicated because this has been like my thing for so long is like you need people who can score goals and you need people who can generate offense defense is not the most important part of winning a championship so if you're trying to make Connor McDavid a defensive forward because you think that's going to win you a championship I hate to break it to you but no it's not and that's not what they're doing with him which is good Um, but it, it applies to even non-Connor McDavid players, players who are offensively gifted. Um, teams, when they overcorrect on their areas of weakness as opposed to elevating their areas of competitive advantage, that's where they fail. Uh, and I think that that's an issue that older coaches have. Um, and it's just a symptom of today's game as opposed to the game of the past. And people need to kind of understand that and and get with the times. Do I sound like an old grumpy man yelling at the cloud when I say that? But maybe, maybe I am, so... <laughs> 
No, we are very much of the ilk. We're, we're not convinced we would be better than, say, Daryl Sutter, but I would not be the worst coach in the NHL. I would not be the single worst coach in the NHL. I don't think there so. Are some <laughs> God, there are some god-awful coaches in the NHL who are just insisting that guys who aren't good at something do something because that's the way they've coached for the last 40 years of their life. You should not be worried about Connor McDavid's defense. If he outscores the other team, you know, plus 18, plus 19. And yes, I, I hate using plus minus, but your TikTok was very right. Your I was going to say, you, you know how I feel about plus minus in the yes, sense where it's yes. like, yeah, generally speaking, you're correct. Yeah. Generally speaking, I'm not a big proponent of plus minus, but if your defense is good enough where you're a plus 16, plus 17, and you're going to have 160 points, I think you can overlook some of the defensive issues. Absolutely, you can. And yeah, I think that that's an area, again, where if you want if you want to look at the net, and even if you're looking at, yeah, five-on-five five actual goals, and, you know, you can talk about plus-minus, the limited, it's like, what were you actually doing on the play, this, that, whatever. So, okay, then like look, let's look at a more advanced metric when it comes to that kind of stuff, and it'll be the same thing, where it's like, okay, if you have a player that's got 100 whatever expected goals, um, or like a general this, that, whatever, um, and you knock that down to 60, and you knock, you know, what they're giving up down a little bit as well. Well, guess what? At the net, at the aggregate, that player is not contributing as much as they were before. And that's not even like just looking at how much they're producing. It's looking at what they're giving up to. And what you want is to maximize what the output is in the aggregate of all your players. So overcorrecting on defense is not helping any of those guys, especially with how many offensively gifted players there are in the NHL. Like you're doing them a disservice by trying to overcorrect on their defense. Oh, yeah, that's been the biggest issue with Huberto all year. He has not been comfortable all year because they're asking him to do stuff he's not good at. And they are limiting his playmaking ability, which is the entire reason you got him in that trade. If not, what was the point of trading for him if you weren't going to let him cook? He had 116 points last year. He's going to finish with maybe 55 for an entire season. That's the difference. Like, yeah, he was playing with Barkov last year. He was playing with Declare last year. He's playing with good players who had more finishing talent. I mean, they're... There were like a good two months where they were playing him with Lucic on the opposite wing with Kadri in the middle of them. And it was just an atrocity every single night to watch Luch try and win puck battles down low while Huberto and Kadri were floating around. Just it, it's maddening sometimes how like Alan Walsh is a little dramatic. I, I'll be fully admit and say it, but he's not wrong. If you're going to keep losing all these one goal games at some point, you got to admit maybe this isn't working. I love Alan Walsh. He's so fun. Like the the entertainment factor is there with him. So I gotta. Yes. But no, one hundred percent. You're right, and it's it's something that I think um, the Winnipeg Jets. I think they've done an okay job of this this year, just because you know Kyle Connor is still atrocious defensively. So I'm, and so is Mark Shifley, and so is Blake Wheeler. So I'm wondering, it's like okay, maybe they're not making them work that hard for that. But it'd be the kind of thing where if you try and turn Mark Shifley into a defensive forward, even though he is a center, and you'd like him to have a little bit more of a defensive conscience. You can't ask him to do that at the expense of being a point-per-game player like he has been for his entire career. So it's it's a matter of making sure that they're – and as of right now, they're not creating more than they're giving up in any metric that you look at, whether it's the simplest to the most complex, they're simply not, which is why it's an issue. Um, but if you want to correct that, you can look at making them improve their defense or if you think you're better equipped to do this, set them up to score more because that might be the ticket to getting them to producing more than they're giving up. The Oilers got to a conference final last year playing negative defense with Mike Smith as their goalie. Try and outscore the other team instead of harping on defense. You cannot win a hockey game 0-0. It is impossible. You are better off trying to win 5-4 than one nothing. Absolutely, and that's why um, I scrap with a lot of Leafs uh, people and Leafs fans and all that good stuff where, you know, 
Kyle Dubas will get some pressure and he'll trade for a defenseman who's not good at hockey because they think that they need to equip themselves for playoff hockey. It's like, no, you have a fantastic hockey team that can score a lot of goals. Just get out of your head for five seconds and play to your strengths because you have a lot of them. That will just about do it for today's episode of Locked on Flames. Before I get everyone out of here, Liz, anything you want to plug? Yeah, I mean, um, Winnipeg Jets, I have so many more thoughts than I can share in a 30-minute segment. And if you have more thoughts or if you even just want to complain about our our girlies having a battle of the mid over here, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Liz Hood. So that's L-Y-S-S-H-O-U-D-E, where I'll share all kinds of things Jets-related and obviously sharing my own thoughts, but I often... Um, share, retweet, and, and talk about some other thoughts that are being shared by people who know a lot more than I do. So if you want some good Winnipeg Jets insight, maybe I'll give that to you 20% of the time, but the other 80% I'll be sharing some other really great stuff from a lot of other people that I connect with. And you can also follow me on TikTok if you're more into that type of media at Can't Teach Size, where I like to stir the pot in a lot of different things and also support women in hockey because it's my favorite thing to do. So that's where you can find me. And I thank you for having me on, Nick. It's been a ton of fun. Absolutely. We will definitely revisit this. There's a long summer and there's not a lot to talk about during the summer. Well, maybe we'll see each other in the Western Conference playoff and then we can. Yeah, (laughs) that would be kind of nuts. That would be kind of nuts if both of these teams made the playoffs. That that would be a little insane. I don't think I would have much value to bring. I would just be like, what's going on? (laughs) That's what makes the NHL playoffs so special. That's the thing, though. We have no insight to share. It's just vibes and ride the vibes exactly. all the way through. That's, you can't explain the NHL playoffs. That'll do it for today's episode of Locked on Flames. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Make sure you go check out another Locked on pod. Go listen to Locked on Jets. I plugged them earlier in the week. Go get an understanding of what the psychosis over there is like, because they're just as confused as the Flames fans are. It's <laughs> the not just the Flames aren't good fans. there either. <laughs> no, they're not. All right, everyone. Have a good one.